So mirror reading is garbage and that's BS. Hey, what's up everyone? This is the Mirror Scripture Podcast and today we're going to be looking at another episode of the OnScript podcast. Uh, if, you re- if you've listened to previous episodes, uh, I reviewed a, another episode of theirs. Uh, and that was episode eight on my podcast. So if you want to, you can check that out. But uh, the OnScript podcast had a Q&A that they did. And so I submitted a question to get their thoughts on mirror reading. And so uh, Drew Johnson and Matt Lynch had a conversation about mirror reading. And so I'm going to be going over that conversation uh, today. And if you want to listen listen to the entire episode, you can go to the OnScript podcast uh, itself and listen to the, to the whole thing. The mirror reading portion, I think, starts around the 25-minute mark. And I'll link, to, I'll link to that, to their episode in my show notes. And I just want to say uh, thank you to Drew and Matt for answering or you know, taking my question and responding to it. Really appreciate it. I'm grateful. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, having said that, uh, if I get a little fired up during this episode, it's uh, it's not because I think poorly of uh, the OnScript podcast or Drew or Matt. It's because I am passionate about mirror reading and uh, I get a little frustrated sometimes. Um, so, uh, but I think I think Drew and Matt are, are they seem like awesome people. Uh, I love their podcast and they're obviously very well educated and very smart. All right, so with that said, uh, let's get started with the first clip. So... Have you heard of mirror reading before? Uh, I I will admit that I Googled that as soon as I saw that question. Yeah. And uh, I I had not heard it called that. I knew what it was, but I just never heard it called that before. So. Okay. So, so mirror reading, I had to look it up too. I hadn't heard of that. So uh, a Twitter account called Mira Scriptura. So obviously this person is invested in this approach. What are your thoughts on mirror reading? And so mirror reading, according to the internet, is the idea that the Bible is always responding to some specific cultural situation and we should interpret it in that light. All right. So that's not a bad definition, although I wouldn't necessarily say cultural situation. I think you could just say specific situation, uh, although uh, culture would be a, bar, a, a byproduct if, if it's a human uh, situation. But I think saying cultural sets Drew and Matt up on the wrong path uh, because they're going to be cherry picking cultural situations that they know of and then saying well I don't see any uh, evidence to, to say that the Bible is responding directly to this situation so then therefore mere reading uh, must not be useful and um, that's that's a butchering of, of mere reading uh, because you mere read the text you don't mere read a you don't mere you don't mere the a cultural situation um, now you could you could set it up as a hypothesis, but you still have to mirror read the text to, to see if that hypothesis holds up or not. But uh, more often than not, you're going to be deriving, deriving the, t- the situation f- from mirror reading the text itself, because a lot of these situations are just not 
known historically. Um, so you have to drive them from from the text themselves. Otherwise, it just becomes like a straw man argument where you're just throwing out a cultural situation and saying, oh, well, I don't see any evidence to support it. And so mere reading is garbage and um, that's BS. So keep in mind, mirror the text, not the cultural, the cultural situation. Now, a lot of these uh, examples, a lot of these cultural situations that Drew and Matt uh, bring up uh, tie in with parts of the Bible that I haven't uh, thoroughly mirror read yet. Uh, so I can't really comment directly to those situations. Uh, actually, I mean, a lot of the times I think I would agree from what I know to say that the Bible is not responding to those situations. Um, but again, that doesn't mean um, that's not me reading. Um, so uh, Drew really nails it later in in the episode where he talks about how a methodology is really needed. And so I will I will discuss the Murrah Scriptura methodology on how to me read uh, later when we, we get to that clip. Um, so, you know, I will be addressing that part. All right, so on to the next clip. So with Paul, there was some lady in that church who just wore her hair too darn short. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, that's right. and that's what he was responding to, right? Yeah. yeah. All right, so um, that sounded a little condescending. <laughs> I don't know if Drew meant it to sound that way, but uh, that's how it came across to me anyways. Um, but regardless, uh, like I said, I haven't mirrored a lot of these particular instances, instances that they brought up, uh, including this one. Um, but if we were to mirror read uh, this, we would look in the text for Paul to say something like, hey, um, the late that lady with the short hair, she needs to grow it out, um, and we would just me read that phrase now, and I think it's in Corinthians that this instance is is at. Uh, it's a little more complex than that, and so it's 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 not really about a lady with short hair. Uh, typically, in Paul's writings, uh, it's it's a theological teaching, false teaching that Paul is countering. And that false teaching is causing these uh, actions or these behaviors uh, to uh, to happen in the church. And so it's a, it's a nice, Paul has this kind of built-in verification in a lot of his letters uh, because in the beginning of his letters, uh, usually he, will uh, address theological topics and then in uh, the, the last part of his letter he'll, he'll address uh, the situations, the things that are happening in the church and so these two are usually connected and I'll talk about that a little bit when I talk about my methodology uh, of causal connections but um, so you'll see that the, these theological issues that Paul is addressing in the first part of his letter uh, are uh, are the cause of these behaviors and actions that he addresses in the last part of his letter. And so you can use that uh, as, as a, as a uh, form of verification for your mere reading. All right, so on to the next clip. Yeah, and... Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's something to the fact that in Paul's letters especially, it seemed like from the stuff I looked up, that's where mm. people went, that y you can, in some instances, reconstruct 
well, I don't, I don't want to even want to say reconstruct, but just you see indications in the text that there is a given situation happening. Uh, there's, there's something that Paul is responding to, and it helps to think about that. Yes, I think it does help to think about that. And I think that's the whole purpose of mere reading. Uh, the problem is with... Um, so the reason why people typically mere read Paul's letters and especially Galatians is because that he is Paul is very direct in the um, in a lot of the statements about the situation that he's responding to. So it's it's more obvious to people that he, what the situation was that he was responding to. So they're more apt to want to mere read that just because it's easier. And I think you can use the, um, I think you can use the term reconstruct because that's what you you are doing. Although Paul, in the more obvious examples, uh, is kind of reconstructing it for you, and it becomes a largely intuitive process for people. Uh, that's why I've written an article on my blog called "Everyone Mirror Reads," uh, because everyone does mirror read to an extent. Uh, usually, usually things like Galatians, uh, Romans, you know, people realize there's some situation that Paul's addressing. That's, there's a problem between the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, so it's, so I, I think, but I, I think that that causes a problem and, and when people stay at the intuitive level and they're not, uh, looking any deeper than that and they don't have a methodology to do it because they're just doing it at an intuitive level. So um, okay, so that's let's let's go on to the next one. So, so I, I don't see that as as really a, a sort of separate approach from anything that you would do when you read a text. Uh, yes, it is a separate approach, I would say. Um, but the, you know, there are some so there are some similarity similarities. So I consider mere reading to be a subcategory of the historical grammatical method. Uh, and with this, with this method, you're looking at a lot of, at the context of a lot of different areas. So you're looking at the, the grammatical, uh, context, the sentence and the paragraph and chapters and book, uh, how, you know, what it is as a, as a whole. And you're looking at cultural context, uh, the culture at the time, and you're looking at historical context, the event, historical events surrounding, uh, the writing. So, uh, yes, but mirror reading is giving you, uh, a different context than those contexts. Uh, and it's what I call a situational context. And it's very specific um, and detailed. And uh, it's not going to show up uh, in most times, it's not going to show up in your history books. Uh, and you're going to have to derive the situational context from your reading the text itself. So the problem is that people are not mere reading deep enough. They are relying on Paul or whoever to be direct and mere reading those uh, direct statements and the, they're not mere reading everything and they're not verifying with uh, causal connections. And even the, even the scholars who do embrace mere reading like John Barclay, like uh, Nijay uh, Gupta, they're just scratching the surface of what's possible with mere reading. And the work I've done here at, Mir at Mira Scriptura, I think is very exciting. I mean, listen to my uh, episodes on the Elowa source. I mean, nobody's coming up with, <laughs> with that stuff. 
and it makes sense. If you listen to it, it makes sense. All the text falls into place. Uh, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but toot toot, it's awesome stuff. Mirror reading is awesome. Uh, it opens up the entire Bible to a whole new understanding. But you have to know how uh, to mirror read, and you've got to mirror read deep enough. Because mirror reading is the key to fully understanding the Bible. Because you can't, you can't know, you can't know what the text, you can't fully know what the text is saying unless you know uh, why it's being said. And mirror reading answers that why. It gives you the why so that you can fully understand the what. So mirror reading, in my opinion, it's required. Mirroring, mirror reading is not an option. There's no side of caution. Because if, if mirror reading is true and you don't do it, then it's still error, even if it's on the side of caution. All right, let's listen to the next clip. But I guess, I guess the idea that the Bible's always responding directly to a given cultural, to some specific circumstance can probably get you in dicey territory. In when we read Paul's letters, that there's often things he's responding to, and he he writes, he refers to previous letters he wrote, and, and he talks about people in the church, often people that are causing trouble, like hand so and so over to Satan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so uh, he's not th- afraid to pull the trigger on that one, right? N- no, he isn't. But but I think probably where it gets a little dicey is when you start reading all the Bible in in response to some specific cultural circumstance as if the Bible is directly always responding to something. And and as a history of response to circumstance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So things only get dicey when people mere read poorly, uh, when they're not basing it on the text, when they're basically coming up with with conspiracy theories and trying to shoehorn historical events uh, into mere reading and saying that the Bible is responding to that. That's when it gets dicey, when people are trying to do that all the time. Uh, but when it's it's when you're mirroring the actual text and you're deriving the re, the what it's responding to from the text, uh, then you can get an accurate picture of what the Bible is, is responding to. And I understand the sentiment um, that people you know people don't like the mere reading aspect of of saying that the Bible is always uh, reacting to something. Um, but that seems to be the case, and. I, I know you don't. You may not want to think of the Bible that way. It makes it seem inferior, or um, you know, it's God's word, so it shouldn't have to react or respond to things. It kind of sets the tempo or the standard or whatever you want to say. Uh, but it is what it is, and you know, simply for the fact that life doesn't happen in a vacuum, and neither do writings. And I like to use the example of John Piper's book on justification. Uh, which is a book on justification, yes, but it is in large part a response to uh, N.T. Wright's book on justification and uh, his views on the new perspective on Paul. So I haven't mere read every book of the Bible yet, but I can say with pretty good confidence that yes, every book of the Bible is responding to some situation. And you can go, you can go to my website, mirrorreading.com, and you can look at uh, a lot of books that I've done, um, 
Uh, I have a section, Books of the Bible. You can check it out. It has all the books that I've mere read. Uh, most of them, as right as of right now, are just like peripheral, um, preliminary uh, mere reading of the books. So I just I just take certain aspects uh, of different books and kind of uh, flush that out in terms of mere reading. And so, you can, I mean, I can go down the list. Ephesians is responding to interpretations of prophetic words that had been spoken by those within the church. Habakkuk is, respond, is, is responding to the temptations of the Jews in light of an impending Babylonian invasion. Haggai is responding to the belief that God was no longer with the Jews because rebuilding the temple had been such a struggle. Jude was responding to a conflict between masters and, and slaves because a false teaching claimed Jesus set the slaves free literally. Mark was responding to the claim that Jesus had been a rogue son. Nahum was responding to fears that the Assyrians would attack again uh, during the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Obadiah was responding to claims that Edom would avoid God's judgment after they had taken advantage of the Babylonian conquering of Jerusalem. Romans was responding to an argument about whether Jews should be included in the church. First and second Samuel was responding to a brewing civil war between the house of David and the house of Saul. First uh, Thessalonians was responding to misinterpretations of Old Testament prophecies that said God would destroy the Gentiles. Second, Thessalonians was responding to the idea that God only favored some of those who believed in Christ. And uh, I even did one on Enoch. A book, book of Enoch was responding to the claim that Enoch was in cahoots with the fallen angels. So those are a uh, list of, of books of the Bible that I, I've just kind of done a preliminary mere reading on and I've the I've gone in depth on a on the Elois source and the Old Testament uh, so that you have the Abraham cycle and the Jacob cycle and the Joseph cycle and the Moses cycle and the Balaam cycle so I, I go into depth on those uh, in my podcast episodes and then I have uh, as of right now I have uh, the, the methodology uh, written out on some post on my blog for the Abraham cycle and the Jacob cycle, so you can see what how exactly I near read it, uh, what my methodology was, what the verses were or the statements that I used to mirror read. Uh, you can look at the causal um, uh, connections. And again, I'll talk, I know I've been putting off the methodology explanation here, but it's coming up soon. So I'll go into depth on how to do that. Um, but check out my website. It's got good stuff on there. You can see how I mirrored. Um, and it's uh, my podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy that as well. So just to give you a preview of the Abraham cycle and the Jacob cycle, I'll give you a summary of what uh, they were responding to. The Abraham cycle is pr primarily concerned with resolving issues between the Israelites and the descendants of Abimelech. The Jacob cycle is primarily concerned about keeping the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Laban separated, but also maintaining peace between them. All right, so let's have a listen to the next clip. So there's probably a spectrum uh, you know, in the Galatian situation, there were, there were, I think people are pretty agreed. There were, there was this group called, I don't know if you want to call them Judaizers, but basically people trying to push the law as, as like the next step in your spiritual mm -hmm. journey after, uh, Christ. So that's, that's pretty much agreed upon, but. So I think they're, 
is a spectrum, actually a couple of spectrums that I want to talk about. Uh, one ties in with what Matt said. So there is there is a spectrum of easiness uh, that you could say, maybe. Um, so like I said, Paul, and a lot of Paul's writings, he's very direct and obvious about the situations that he's responding to. And so people uh, do tend to agree upon those epistles because they are rather obvious. Um, Now, that doesn't mean the other books of the Bible uh, cannot be mere read. It simply means that they are more difficult to mere read. So, like, narratives would be more difficult than epistles. Uh, Gospels, you have a layer, uh, you have to go out uh, a level. So, when you're reading the Gospels, you're not really, when you're mirroring, you're not so much concerned about, well, why did Jesus say such and such to the Pharisees, but why did uh, John write about Jesus uh, what he said to the Pharisees? Why did John write that to his readers? Um and then maybe maybe the most difficult to me read at all of all, which I haven't really done any yet, uh, would be like apocalyptic writings. So like Revelation, uh, I tried to do Jonah. That was rather difficult. Uh, I think there's a lot of symbolic meaning in there. Uh, I didn't think there was, but through the process of me reading, it appears that there is. So um, that's been kind of a bust so far, but yeah, because you have that symbolic meaning that you have to wade through before you can even start mirror reading. Uh, so I haven't really gotten into apocalyptic um, uh, books yet. The other spectrum is uh, a spectrum of certainty uh, when mirror when mirror reading. So you have uh, this is John John Barclay sets forth a. Uh, some different levels of how certain uh, one can be of mere reading. So it's getting away from that all or nothing uh, proposal of here's the situation that the, this book was responding to, but really having, uh, you know, depending on the textual evidence, you can be more or less certain about uh, the situation that you're, you're mere reading. And so John Barclay sets forth forth these levels, which is uh, which are certain or virtually certain, highly probable, probable, possible, conceivable, and incredible. So, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with putting forth a uh, hypothesis with little evidence, um, or a you know the equivalent of a conspiracy theory, but uh, you have to label it uh with one of the lower levels of uh, you know incredible or conceivable but you can't be too certain whereas other parts that you might read you might have a lot of textual evidence and so you, you can be certain or virtually certain all right here's the next clip the thing you get you know one of the ones i thought of in the old testament that always gets played and i think it's it's really mistaken and overdone is this idea that behind the writings of the Old Testament was this massive conflict between priests and Levites. Mm-hmm. Do you ever hear that yeah. one? You, yeah, sure and, then, and then taking that down to the level also of um, the laws themselves, right? That, mm-hmm. that a particular law is a response to a particular um, event, which in some cases could very well be the case. 
Yes, it could very well be the case in some cases. But here I think is another straw man. Um, so throwing out the uh, priest versus Levites uh, scenario, saying, well, I don't see any evidence. Actually, I, I'd, I, I would have liked to have heard Matt's evidence why he doesn't like that. I, I have heard that there is some... Uh, priest and Levite uh, conflict going on, uh, but I, I don't know that much about it. So, and I haven't mere read, um, well, I haven't mere read the priestly source uh, or say like First and Second uh, Chronicles. I think it's like a priestly influenced uh, books. Books. Um, so, but I can't comment directly on that. But I can say, uh, if they are in conflict, it's more likely that when the priestly uh, authors wrote, they were writing to a particular situation during the time of their writing, and when the Levites uh, wrote wrote their texts, that they were addressing a specific situation at that time and so if there's a conflict between the two it's just a byproduct of the two different situations that they were addressing it's not necessarily the priest priestly author sat down to directly uh counter a a levitical book or a levitical source So that's all I have to say on that. Uh, And so next clip. uh, So this is where we'll get into the methodology. Here it is. I think um, at this this conference, we were talking about this issue of falsifiability a lot with Hmm. kind of uh, critical method. Um, And I and I I struggle with some of these instances to say, okay, uh, if we think that this is what's going on, how would we know that we're wrong? Not how do we know we're right? Mm -hmm. How would Mm -hmm. we know if we're wrong about this, which I think is just as an important question for our method. And that concerns me a little bit in some of these things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so here uh, I think Drew Drew really uh, gets to the heart of the matter here, and this is I think is the main issue of why they're really reluctant to embrace mere reading uh, because they really don't see a methodology to either prove or disprove uh, whether uh, a book of the Bible was responding to something or not. So I'm just going to go briefly through my own methodology, and I will link to the um, Mirror Scriptura uh, Mirror Reading Methodology post so that you can read in more detail if you'd like. And so the first question is, should a book of the Bible be mirror read? And the answer is always yes, it should be. Uh, Now whether a book of the Bible was actually responding to something, I think is a different question. But through the process of this mere reading methodology, uh, you'll discover whether it was actually responding to something or not. And from my experience, uh, and from what I know from the other books of the Bible, like I said, I haven't mere read everything, but I am fairly confident that every book of the Bible is responding to uh, some specific situation. And so I... In the end, I think mirror, mirror reading is always applicable. Now, I haven't proved that because, like I said, I haven't mirrored every book of the Bible yet. All right, so starting off, uh, so I, I build a little bit off of the methodologies of John Barclay and I.J. Gupta. Uh, in their criteria, they found 
Well, I found three of their criteria to be of primary importance. So, and they are frequency, variety, and historical plausibility. Uh, so I think historical plausibility is kind of a no-brainer. That seems kind of obvious. It needs to be historically plausible. Um, the other two, frequency. So the uh, number of times the book, a book of the Bible is uh, is responding to something or is countering something. And variety. So the different ways it counters and the different ways it opposes and the different ways it responds. So those are the three that I carry over from Barclay and Gupta. And the next one is uh, unique to my to my methodology, although it's it's similar to uh, Barclay's. I think it is. So it's uh, types of statements. But my types of statements are different than Barclay's or uh, Gupta's. And also, I've really only applied a methodology to uh, narrative. So these these type. Uh, these types of statements are geared towards narratives, and so I'm I'm assuming I'll add more types, uh, you know, as I get into the epistles and other genres, and those types will be specific to those genres. So, what are the type of statements uh, that I have here? Well, first one and probably the most obvious is the mere statement. So, that's a statement that is the opposite of a biblical statement. So, for example, a biblical statement might say, "She is a married woman." So, the married so you would mirror that, and the mirrored statement would be, "She is not a married woman." So, we don't know. Uh, you know, we don't know if if the opposing narrative was saying she was a single woman, a divorced woman, or a, a widow. We don't know. We can just say the opposite that that the opposing narrative was saying that she was not a married woman. Now, the next one, and this is important. Uh, well, there are all the statements are important, but uh, just to point out that you don't when you're mere reading you don't mirror every statement. You only mirror uh, certain statements that make sense to mirror. So the next type of statement is the echo, which is a point of common reference, such as an Old Testament quote or a point of agreement with uh, the opposing narrative, uh, which is usually qualified with an alternative. And that leads to the next type of statement, the alternative, uh, which is simply an alternative explanation that qualifies an echo. So, for example, example, an echo would be the statement uh, when Abraham says, she is my sister. So, in this case, the Eloist source would be agreeing with the opposing narrative, uh, saying that, yes, Abraham did say that Sarah was his sister. But then he follows up it up with an alternative explanation, saying she really, you know, she really wasn't his sister. Um, so the, the alternative statement would be, "I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me uh, because of my wife." So again, the Alosaurus agrees with the opposing narrative that yes. Abraham did say that Sarah was a sister, but she wasn't really a sister. And he only said that because he was afraid. 
All right, so the next type statement is the denial, which is something that wouldn't have happened or been said if a mirrored statement were true. So, for example, the, a biblical statement uh, would be Abraham loved Isaac. The mirrored statement of that would be Abraham did not love Isaac. And a denial of that mirrored statement would be uh, Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Because if Abraham didn't love Isaac, then he wouldn't have thrown a great feast. The next uh, type of statement is a kind of the opposite of a denial, which is a affirmation. Um, and that is something that happened or was said because an echoed statement is true. And that's usually qualified with an alternative as well. Now, this one is uh, more theoretical at the time. I don't really have a good example of this yet. Um, but uh, I have found some indications that those type of statements exist. And the final type of statement is a ghost statement. So this is when a supporting statement, such as an alternative statement or a denial uh, or an affirmation, when it doesn't have a corresponding mirror or echo, the mirror or echo is implied and called a ghost. So since we have to imply uh, a ghost statement, it's not uh, as certain as a direct mirror or echoed statement. So an example of this would be um, when the biblical author provides an alternative uh, to why Abraham's well had been seized. The alternative is that Abimelech's servants had seized it and not Abimelech himself. So the ghost statement would be Abimelech had seized Abraham's well. So that's it for the type of statements. There, there are actually a few other ones, but um, they're minors. But those are the, the main ones. So now I want to talk about causal connections. And I think this is one of the uh, m most important aspects of mirror reading. And it's one of the uh, most unique uh, parts of my methodology. So if a mirrored or echoed statement statement forms a cause or effect relationship with another mirrored or echoed statement, then they validate each other. So the larger the causal chain, the greater probability that the mirrored or echo statements within it are true. So what does that mean? Um, so here's an example. Uh, we'll start with the statement, Laban did not regard Jacob as favorably as he did before. So what, what would cause someone to say that? Uh, and are there other statements in that narrative that would, that would cause the first statement to be true? And so we do find statements like that. So Laban did not regard Jacob as, favor as favorably as he did before because Jacob cheated Laban and because Jacob deceived Laban and because Jacob carried away Laban's daughters like captives and because Jacob stole Laban's gods. So all of those effects of the first statement support, support it because they are effects of that statement. Or I should say the statement is the effect of those causes. So another example would be uh, Abraham did not love Isaac because Abraham was not the father of Isaac because Abimelech was the father of Isaac because Abimelech took Sarah. And going back to the statement, Abraham was not the father of Isaac because Sarah was not married to Abraham because Sarah was married to Abimelech. 
and because Abraham said Sarah was his sister. And going back to the statement, Abraham was not the father of Isaac because Sarah did not bear a son to Abraham. So all of those statements are derived from uh, the text um, and they're either echoes or mirrors, uh, although there are a couple which are uh, inferred uh, statements. So those we can be less certain of, uh, which that's a whole other part of the methodology, but um, you get the general idea of using causal, causal connections to build, um, to connect the dots that kind of validate uh, the statements by building uh, on top of one another. If you want to see uh, the details of how I worked the uh, methodology for the Jacob cycle and the Abraham cycle, they are on my blog. I'll put links to them in the show notes, uh, and it will break down the mirrored and echo statements and the causal connections, and it will it has a spreadsheet on there that shows the uh, verses I use to derive the statements, um, so it's, it's much more detailed that I can't go into here. So I think that's it for the methodology. Uh, I hope that uh, gives a little bit better understanding of how to use mirror reading without just uh, theorizing, um, looking to the text to derive the issues that the narrative or the biblical text uh, was responding to, and to address uh, Drew's question of how would you know when you're wrong not just when you're right. Um, so I think I would say that you would know you're wrong if there were no echo or mirrored statements uh, that would res- be responding to the situation that you're uh, theorizing that the the biblical text is responding to. Uh, and not only that, but these mirrored and echoed text would uh, combine into causal chains that would form a logical argument as a whole against the situation that you're theorizing about. So if you don't have that in the biblical text, then you would know that you're wrong. Or better yet, the biblical text, those mirrored and echo statements and the logical argument uh, created by causal chains would actually point to a different situation uh, than the one that you were theorizing about. So I hope that uh, I hope that answers the question. So let's move on to the next clip. Um, And I think another example is where I think it kind of gets interesting is Genesis one is this responding to other creation narratives Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. but i think we can't stop there we have to if you're going to talk about cultural engagement is that a direct polemical response to the enuma elish epic right or is it maybe borrowing some language and themes from that and playing with them in new ways is it subverting it, you know, so, so there's a spectrum. Or is of, it a response to, um, uh, uh the Egyptian narratives? Right? Yeah, exactly. This is another one that somebody's yep. positive recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and if you're saying, if you're giving a creation narrative, of course it's engaging mm-hmm. uh, other creation narratives. So the question is to what extent, how, how savvy are they being, how much are they kind of flipping the script? How much are they just kind of throwing the old script out and saying, no, 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 listen to this whole new story. Yeah. 
It's very difficult uh, to tell. I mean, I, I think it's it's easy to put the the Genesis one through eleven. I've written a, a layperson's commentary on this, so I've been thinking about it a lot in the last year or two. It's easy to put it in context of those stories. It's a little more difficult to say that it's directly attacking, you know, yeah. the Egyptian pantheon uh, or uh, directly attacking uh, the 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 the, uh, the battle between Aal and uh, Tiamat. Right. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so yes, cultural engagement is not the same as me reading. Um, again, putting a cultural situation or a historical situation out there and then trying to read the Bible into it, um, that's not me reading, at least in my opinion. I mean, I, I suppose there are people out there that are trying to do that, uh, but it's not very good me reading, and I wouldn't even call it me reading at all. So I haven't mere read um, the creation creation accounts in Genesis, uh, but I'm pretty familiar with them. And, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've read uh, Enuma Elish. But I can say off the top of my head, yeah, that's in, in those creation accounts are not responding to that text because the text doesn't uh, point to it. Just because there's similarities between the two, absolutely right, doesn't mean it's responding to it uh, directly, polemically. If it was, you'd find some very direct um, statements in the biblical text that would that would indicate that it was responding to that. Same with the uh, Egyptian gods. Yes, I mean, I, I, I would find it difficult to believe that they weren't interacting with the uh, influence of the Egyptian gods at that time. But you really, with mirror reading, you really got to go deeper. So, like, why were they uh, dealing with the influence of Egyptian gods at that time? Like, what was the situation? You know, was there an alliance with Egypt at the time? Or, uh, you know, were they under control of, of Egyptian influence at the time? Was there an Egyptian cult that was making inroads uh, into the Elohim, Yahweh uh, establishment? Was there uh, a drought at the time? Was there that you know, people were looking to the Egyptian fertility gods? Um, and even those situations are pretty broad and pretty general. And mirror reading is going to lead to some uh, a pretty specific situation. All right, on to the next clip. Mm. And, and that's where I think I, I'm a little uncomfortable with the term mirror because mm-hmm. it, it implies some kind of direct opposite response yeah and 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 also that those narratives are kind of setting the agenda and so so i would probably not use that kind of language but use uh, a, a more nuanced uh, approach to thinking about cultural engagement that mm-hmm. that that allows for a, a wide range of of possible responses yeah, I actually don't like the term mirror reading either. Uh, one, it sounds kind of mystical. Like you talk about mirror reading and people automatically think you're charismatic or something if they're not familiar with it. And two, mirroring mirroring the text is really just one, as, one technique uh, to use uh, to get to – to reconstruct the situation that, that, that the text was uh, responding to. Um, uh, you know, I, I almost 
thought about changing the name of my uh, website to something different so um, it, it would have a broader impact. But it's called me reading. I didn't, I didn't make it up. I didn't invent, you know, I didn't uh, discover it or establish it or whatever. Uh, so I'm just kind of, I'm going with, I mean, that's, that's what people call it. So that's what I'm going with. And I also get uh, the uncomfortable uncomfortableness with uh, an opposing narrative setting the agenda for the Bible. Like it seems like the Bible should be above that, um, but it's not. I it just the the text does not uh, support that. Um, and you know, biblical authors did not live in a vacuum. They did not write in a vacuum. Uh, so they were living in situations and that influenced their writing and that's just how it was. All right. I think this is the last clip. Yeah. And I, and I think you just have to hold a lot of these things with an open hand. So, you know, when you, I, 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 my favorite example is, you know, Exodus one, as soon as you have, uh, a baby in trouble from someone who thinks they're going to be a usurper going into a, a, a reed basket with pitch and tar and put into the Nile River. Like, it's difficult to think that anybody who has ever touched Egyptian theology would not think, okay, this is this is the Horus epic, uh, the uh, what they call the infant exposure motif. The details are too creepy. Or with um, Pishtim, uh and Gilgamesh, right? The, the details are just too close. So I think we have to think of these texts as engaging uh, these stories somehow. It's it's just, I'm not quite sure that there's a clear method for saying it's a one-to-one reaction. Mm. Like you said, yeah. the, the, the mirror, I think, is what threw me off as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I, th- I do think there's a good method, uh, which I just went over a little while ago. So, um, but yeah, the, uh, just because outside texts are you know just part of the cultural tapestry uh again that's not mere reading and we would have to mere read the text uh using the methodology to actually discovery discovering if it was actually responding to uh horus or uh egyptian whatever egyptian text that you want to put forward Okay, well, that's. I think that's it. Uh, thanks again to Drew and Matt uh, for talking about mirror reading and giving me an excuse to uh, sort of address some of the concerns of people and concerned about uh, mirror reading. And I hope that uh, mirror reading becomes uh, more widespread and. I hope that we can continue to refine the mirror reading process and the mirror reading methodology so that uh, mirror reading is not so scary to people and they can they can look at the text and look at the evidence and see how we can know the situation that it was responding to. If Drew and Matt would like to have me on their podcast uh, to talk more about mirror reading, uh, absolutely, I would love to. Um, not saying that they're going to, but uh, I'm putting it out there. I'd be happy to talk more about it. I think mirror reading deserves um, much more conversation. And um, so I just thought I'd put it out there and I would happy to be happy to talk more about it. 
Uh, and uh, sorry for the delayed uh, response. I know it's been probably two or three months since Drew and Matt's episode aired, episode was released. Um, so I apologize on the uh, delayed response, but my life has kind of blown up recently. So my attention has been elsewhere, um, but finally was able to put this together. So thanks for listening, and that's it for today. 